Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And you have to remember this church in Corinth, as we continue our study, you're going to see how the church begins to grow. You're going to see church growth. Remember the earlier chapters of the, the, the uh, 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 First Corinthians? You see a picture of how the church is very, very young. And what's so sad about their state in, in, in their youth in Christ, it's beautiful that brothers and sisters. But then at the same time, you look at chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says, And I, brethren, could not could not speak to you as to car, as to spiritual people. Could not, he says. I cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, he says. But he says, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. They were young children in Christ. It's, it's one thing if somebody's a believer for, you know, a week, a month, and, you know, and they're on spiritual milk. You can't get into the uh, deep, deep, deep spiritual things. But then at the same time, what happens when that person is six months in Christ? A year in Christ, two years in Christ, and they're still on milk. That's what Paul is writing about here. He says in verse 2, I fed you, notice past tense, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. That was back then, you know, milk, that's what I gave you initially. And then, you know, what's interesting when you consider the milk that Paul gave to the church. Remember, he said that in chapter 2, he says, I determined. I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or with wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. This is in chapter 2, verse 1. But then in verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, that alone, that's some beautiful milk. That's some beautiful milk, just the, the basics, the very, very basics of our faith, of our walk. The very, very basics. But then at the same time, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 2 now, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. Still not able. Remember that the church, the, the, the birth of the church between when this letter was written, about a three-year gap. So in three years, what in the world was happening on milk? Just the ba the basics, and not to not to nullify the basics. The basics are beautiful, but then let's move on. Let's move on to perfection. Let's grow. Let's mature in Christ. And that's what Paul is addressing here—a very carnal church. And you know, it, it there was this a, a store when I was growing up. It was called Toys R Us. And, you know, the Toys R Us, you know, all the kids would go crazy, you know, around Christmas time because they'd send out their little mailers, their little pamphlets, their Toys R Us pamphlets, and all the kids would go crazy. And, you know, there was this song that they had on on the commercials is, you know, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to sing it, but, you know, that's how the lyrics went. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us. I'll sing it a little bit. I'm a Toys R Us kid, you know, and they did their, their, their spiel, you know. And it's like all these kids, it's like they're stuck in the toy store. They, they, I don't want to grow up, you know. And the same thing applies in Christ. You know, how many times do you get in situations where it's like, wow, you know, I do not want to move on to perfection. Be very careful if that's you. Because that's not a good state because that's carnality. That's carnality. Because Paul says here in chapter 3, verse 3, for you are still carnal. That's the old nature. You are still carnal for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 
And, you know, it's not just the, the understanding that Paul is writing to a young church, but with youth comes a lot of mistakes. I mean, look at kids today. I mean, if you're a parent, look at kids. I mean, you don't just, you know, have babies and then just, you know, throw them in a room and forget about them. You know, you have to teach them. They make a lot of mistakes. You gotta, they make spills. They make, they trip. They, you know, they have to learn balance. They have to learn all kinds of different things. You don't just throw them in the room and forget about them. You know, you have your, it's very uh, hands-on, you know, and you do all these things and teach them and they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they move on. They grow, they mature, you know, and you're not teaching a 13-year-old what you were teaching your child when they were two. And you're not teaching your 15-year-old what you were teaching when you were two. You know, I kind of think like around 14, you're kind of, um, you can really feel the, the letting go aspect. You know, and if you don't feel it, your 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 kids definitely want to let go. 14, 15, 16, and then it's like they have that eagerness to to get out, you know. 17, really eager to get out. 18, boom, you know, they're 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 ready to, you know, that's that's really where the rubber hits the road. Where the rubber hits the road, where all your training, it's really gonna put into into the test, the training that you've instilled in your child. Because now they're on their own program. Now they're going to do their own thing. You know, they're going to get married, have their own kids. You're, they're going to have, you know, raise their kids. And you're going to have grandbabies and all these different things. And, you know, that's if they get married. We're going to talk about marriage in a couple chapters. But at the same time, you know, it's very interesting to understand that, you know, with, with the youth comes a lot of mistakes. And that's what we see in this church in Corinth. A lot of works of the flesh. And it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty it's it's very bad. I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna mince words, it's terrible. It, it, it's sad, it breaks my heart. But you know, I also get great encouragement, not from the sin, but from the fact of knowing that the church today, you know, I teach from the United States, and if you're in Western culture or you know, I, I don't know, wherever your church is, wherever you fellowship. You might see all kinds of works of the flesh and be encouraged by the book of Corinthians because the church in Corinth, they were babies. They were babies three years, no growth, arrested development, no growth. And just like, you know, no growth whatsoever. And you see it, it's evident. And Paul, in the earlier chapters, he writes about who the church is. You know, yes, they're saints. Yes, they're Christians. But at the same time, he also writes about who he is in Christ. Not just him, but him, Cephas, uh, 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 Apollos. He says, you guys, he says, we're nothing. We're nothing, you guys. We're just the planters. We're the waters. It's God who gives the increase. That's a very hardcore message for pastors. Because a lot of pastors, elders, Bible teachers, they really think they're the stuff. They really think they're the stuff. You have to be careful with pride and think, wow, you know, I'm the arbiter of this. I'm the arbiter of that. No, you know, you plant, you water, that's it. And you pray, you know, plant water and pray. And God gives the increase. You know, be like John the Baptist. I'm so in love with John the Baptist. I love him so much. Because I can't imagine his heart. You know, he has his, his disciples you know, people that he poured into and he taught. And you know there had to have been so much love, profound love for these students of his. Profound, deep love. 
And they come to him. They say, teacher, you know, there's this Jesus. What do we do? What do we do, teacher? And I can't imagine telling them. I mean, just the breaking of his heart. I must decrease. He must increase. You guys go to him. And then he's all by himself, all alone. A very hardcore message for pastors. You know, if you like to be, you know, the popular, you know, read your Bible because there's no popularity in Christ. I meant among the planters and waters. That's what, what Paul was talking about, you know, last week, you know, in, in, in chapter 4, when he says you guys are like kings. In verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8, you guys are already full. You're already rich. He says in verse 10, chapter 4, 10, he says, We are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth, as the refuse of the world, the offspring the uh, offscoring or the scum of all things until now that's what you know so if you're a, a a pastor a bible teacher an evangelist an expositor or whatever and you think it's a popularity contest it's not surprise shouldn't be surprised it's not a popularity contest at all but then at the same time Paul writes about in chapter 4, like he has responsibilities. Yes, he says, you know, we're nothing. We plant, we water. You know, Cephas, Apollos, myself, we're nothing. Remember, he says in, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, neither he, who plant, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. You see, we're nothing. But it's God who gives the increase, he says. But then he has a responsibility in Christ his apostleship in Christ. He has a duty as unto the Lord. You know, he has a, a calling of, of, uh, unto the Lord, calling from the Lord and his service unto the Lord. He's a shepherd. And it's hardcore. I mean, what's happening in the church? It's terrible. And we're going to study that here in chapter five. But then at the same time, to remember that, you know, wait a second. Why Why did it get to this point, what we're about to look at? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Were they themselves carnal? Were they themselves compromised through their own carnality to the point where they were biblically incapable of correcting another brother, correcting another sister? Were they incapable of shepherding because of their own hypocrisy? Very common among the pastor community. So-called shepherds. Because of their own carnality, because of hypocrisy, they are biblically unqualified. They disqualify themselves because of carnality and hypocrisy. Biblically disqualified. And yet they call themselves shepherds. You know, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you know you're a hypocrite, repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. Remember the Old Testament? If you listen to our studies, all these things, these provisions that the Lord had for the people to be right with Him, but yet who was first? The priesthood. And where there was hypocrisy, the Lord killed them. 
where there was hypocrisy, where there was strange fire, the Lord killed the sons of Aaron because their heart wasn't right with the Lord. They offered strange fire. You see, very hardcore message for pastors. Yes, in our study in the Old Testament, Leviticus, you know, it, we had our, our, our study of, you know, how these provisions for the Lord was, you know, all these things for the people to be right with him. But don't forget, first in line was the priesthood because they were the tools, they were the vessels to, of cleansing of the people. Not that they were first in line because they're awesome, you know, it's just the opposite. They were first in line because they were the tools. They had to be clean, had to have clean hands. Clean heart, clean feet, clean mind. And where there was strange fire, the Lord killed them. That's why Brother James, he says, let not many of you be teachers. Because you're held to a stricter account, let not many be teachers. What do we have today? Many teachers. You know, but, you know, you have, don't forget that in the, in the shepherd class, you're going to have hirelings. You're going to have wolves. You're going to have shills. You're going to have people who serve the Antichrist, and you're going to have a faithful shepherd. You have to know your Bible to know, wow, you know, this pastor, he calls himself the pastor, but he's crazy. Or, you know, this lady is my pastor. You read your Bible. Oh, you know, women shouldn't be teaching men. Okay, I'm out of here. But no, because you have no Bereans in these last days, pastors get away with murder. Where were the pastors here in Corinth? Where were the elders? But you know what? Praise be to the Lord. Let's skip these pastors in, in Corinth. Let's skip these elders in Corinth. And you know what's so beautiful? This bulwark of righteousness, those in the household of Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe opens up her home, says, yes, we're going to have a little fellowship here. Now, it's very interesting. I have strong suspicion that it was a, you know, a, a, a female Bible study. Strong, a strong, strong, strong conviction and suspicion, you know, maybe suspicion, borderline conviction, because it, say, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say those in the household of Fred, you know, I don't know Chloe's husband's name, you know, but it does say those in the household of Fred. So maybe she wasn't married. Maybe she's a widow. Maybe she never married. Maybe she's like, you know what? My husband is Jesus Christ. I'm not getting married because she wanted to serve the Lord and please the Lord. Maybe. I don't know. I can't wait to find out. You know, I'm going to hug her one day. I'm going to embrace her one day and tell her how what a great encouragement she was. And you see, it's like, wait a second. So, you know, maybe they didn't have a quorum where they could, you know, for, for uh, uh, or a, a male uh, present in the fellowship. So instead of those in the household of Chloe saying, hey, pastor, elder, you know, hey, elder, we got this problem. Hey, elder, you know, what's the matter? Why are you asleep behind the wheel? Hey, why are you going into crazy town, pastor? Why are you doing? They say, no, we got to notify Paul. We got to notify Paul. They go to their male authority, the pastor authority. Paul, we got this issue in the church. No, I don't want to get, you know, sometimes I say that and people say, oh, you're so sexist. You're so sexist. Don't forget, there's always a male covering. Jesus is the male covering for the church. Jesus is the male covering for pastors. Jesus is the male covering for husbands. And Jesus is also the male covering for wives and females, for, for all. But then at the same time, in there's like this structure, you know, like, 
In the Old Testament, you always see a male covering. Esther had Mordecai. You know, if you remember our study, in chapter 16 of Romans, Romans 16, Phoebe, verse 1, I commend you, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria. I don't know if Phoebe was married. I suspect that she probably was not married. Because you see uh, the pastoral covering, the male covering on Phoebe, when you know that Paul tells the church in verse two in in Rome, he says that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of this of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So she has this male covering. You know, she Paul is telling the church, hey, don't just receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, but also assist her in whatever business. She's going to be a shot caller. She's going to call the shots. And, you know, not that, I mean, Jesus is the ultimate shot caller. You know, he he is, we're, we're obedient to him. He is the head pastor of every church. But even in the distribution of these ministries, and Paul says, receive Phoebe. A sister, do it. Whatever she has need of you, you do it. She's going to tell you to do this. She's going to tell you that. And so it's like she has this male covering in Paul. So you'll always see a picture of this male covering. Where you see outside of the male covering, that's when you get into crazy town. And we're going to talk about that in a couple more chapters. But that's when you get into crazy town. That's when you get into like women pastors. You see the spirit of Jezebel. The Jezebel spirit alive and well in the church today. You know, women pastors who are teaching men. Sometimes you see them on TV. You know, you see all kinds of craziness. There's like the woman pastor. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's teaching men. And you look at the men, the, the camera pans to the audience. You look at the men and they're just, it's like, what in the world? Do they not read their Bibles? We're, we're going to study that more in depth when we get into the pastoral epistles. But there's always order in the church. Order in the church. Now, if you're female, you know, it's not to say like, you know, oh, you know, you you can't serve the Lord in this capacity. You can't serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord in whatever capacity he calls you to. But understand that it has to be in order with his word. No teaching men. Not a pastor over a man. And we're going to study that, you know, in future chapters. But I say that because in these last days, you're starting to see the rise of the Jezebel spirit even more. The rise of the Jezebel spirit in females. It's pride. You see it in the men too. You may you see pride in the males too. But, you know, you're starting to see. It's it's kind of like the, the, the natural evolution, you know, if I can throw that word out. I don't like that word, but I'll throw that out. It's kind of like the natural evolution. Because, I mean, what do you expect? You look at the males today. You look at men in the church. I, I, don't, I don't see men. I see a lot of boys. I see a lot of beta males. And then at the same time, it's like, so if you have all these beta males, you have all these baby boys, you have all these boys with the umbilical, umbilical cord attached to mommy. You know, they don't like to wear their big boy pants. They have their binky in their mouth. Yeah, they're hairy. They look like men. But, you know, spiritually, they're little babies. No growth. And when I say it's kind of like the natural evolution, what do you expect the women to do? 
You know, I, I understand it. It's kind of, but also understand that Satan can have a foothold and say, okay, ladies, you know, and then all of a sudden the spirit of Jezebel comes in. It's not to say that women, you cannot do this. I mean, you cannot teach men, you know, in a pastor capacity. But don't forget, even uh, uh, Priscilla, a female, taught Apollos, who was already a, a great teacher, and she augmented his, his understanding and made his understanding even better. So what does that say about Priscilla's knowledge of the Word of God? It was better than that of Apollos. But don't forget, even Priscilla had her male covering, which was her husband, Achilla. You see? But in, in like a fellowship, a pastor, it can a female cannot teach men. That's what the Bible says. You know, and I say that sometimes and then people get mad. You know, people get mad. Oh, you know, I don't think God would. It's like, wait a second. Whenever, so many times when somebody says to you, I don't think God, you have to do something in your mind. Immediately look at the fruit of their lives. Look at the fruit of their lives. I don't think God, because, you know, be careful what they say when they say, I don't think God. But when godly people tell me, I don't think God, I listen. And very rarely do godly people say, I don't think God. They look at the Bible and they say, look what God did here. It's like, I don't think God, I don't think God. They just, this is what the Bible says. This is what God did. This is what God does. And it's like, okay, you see maturity. So we have to be very careful in these last days. I mean, be careful all the time, but even more so in these last days, because it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get more treacherous for the Christian. Life is going to be more treacherous for the Christian, spiritually for sure. And in some parts of the world, physically, you know, harm to your body, you know, to include death, a beating, pastors being beaten. You know, you're starting to see in, you know, churches going in underground now. Churches going underground, they're, they're doing their services on like, you know, uh, video conferencing. They're doing their uh, uh, Zoom churches. They're doing their video conferencing, but it's all, you know, uh, uh, on the dark web. And the dark web is, you know, it's dark. And they got some crazy stuff there. Wild, wild stuff. I mean, all kinds of evil. But you have the underground church where in persecuted areas, like in, in China, in North Korea, in Russia, in some Arab lands, what ha what's happening is the church is going underground. In the dark web, they're having their services. Very interesting to see the, the church. Not, I say the church, but I'll specify the remnant. Very interesting to see the remnant in these last days. And praise be to the Lord, because he shows us, he guides us as the days get darker, as the days get more perilous, as the days get more sorrowful, just as he told us they would. They get more treacherous, they get more dangerous, and the Lord is leading his people. He's shepherding his people in truth, and he's shepherding his people to paradise. What's happening here in the church in Corinth is hardcore. It's sad, and it breaks my heart. Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 1. This is inside the church, not out. The world is the world. But now this is inside the church. 
He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. He says, it is commonly, in verse 1, how it translates is, it is actually or commonly reported, which it's like, wait a second, is this just one instance or is this like, you know, a multiple of all kinds of sexual sin? And I happen to think the latter. Because sin begets sin, begets sin, begets sin. Leaven begets leaven, begets leaven, begets leaven. And I think it was just spreading like wildfire, wildfire, carnality. And this form of carnality being sexual immorality, which translates in the Hebrew, very interesting, as porneia. Porneia, does that ring a bell? That's where we get the word pornography. And in these last days, pornography is like a wildfire in the church. Inside the, the world is the world. I mean, I love the world in terms of, you know, I want them to come to Christ. But for the church, for inside the church, the pornography is spreading like wildfire. This sexual immorality, it's porneia, translates as uh, idolatry, harlotry, and then fornication inside the church. Does this resonate? I mean, if it if it resonates with you in terms of like it, can, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, you need to repent and get your heart right with the Lord. Get yourself right with the Lord. But if this resonates with you because it's like you look at the church and you see it happening left and right. I mean, everybody's having sex. It's like you look at the world where everybody's having sex. Everybody's doing their sexual stuff. And then you look at the church and you see everybody's at, everybody's doing their sexual stuff. It's the exact same. There's no difference. There's no difference. You look at the world, you look at the church, and there's no difference. But among the remnant, you look at the world, the world is the world. You look at the church, and now I'll add the third. You look at the remnant. Something different with the remnant. Are people set apart unto the Lord? Are people consecrated unto the Lord? Are people who so render their hearts unto the Lord? That's the remnant. And Paul says, It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you. And praise be to the Lord because it was those in Chloe's household. You know, there's something wrong here. Imagine their fellowships when they would come. You know, they would want to study the Bible. They would want to pray. And man, I just can't imagine what their prayer life was. I mean, I have an idea, but wow, I mean, to be there among them would be so beautiful. You know, it's like, you know, the, you have this uh, young church where there's arrested development, three years, a bunch of babies. But in Chloe's household, I don't see babies. In Chloe's household, mm -mm, I don't see babies at all. I see leadership. I see ministry leaders. So much so that it's like, you know, even overarching that of the pastor, not in terms of their ministry, you know, in, in teaching men. But in terms of their knowledge of the Lord and even in their application, because what they do, they say, we got to call Paul. We got to call Paul. We got to notify Paul. And then they write a letter. Paul catches wind of what's happening in the church, all these reports of division in the church. And now it's like, you know, he finds out about this sexual sin. And he says in verse one, and such sexual immorality and such porneia. 
and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, not even outside the church, not even, not even in the world. That's how bad this sexual immorality. And what is it? He says that a man has his father's wife. Whoa. There is a guy in the church who is having sexual relations with his dad's wife. What in the world is happening? Those in Chloe's household, Paul, we got an issue here. Nobody's correcting. Not even another brother is correcting. Not even, the, you know, look at the complicit, the complicit nature here with the dad, with the wife, with the son. That's the family dynamic. But there's no elders that's, you know, nobody's calling this. Nobody's saying, hey, you need to repent. Hey, this is this is nasty. Don't do this. Not just nasty, but this is unbecoming. Unbecoming of a Christian. This sexual immorality. This porneia. It's unbecoming of a Christian. And those in Chloe's household, praise be to the Lord. How much I'm so in love with these. All I know is that it's in Chloe's household. No mention of Chloe's husband. It doesn't say Fred's house. I don't know Fred. I'm just saying a male name. No mention of, you know, those in Fred's house. No, those in Chloe's household. Were there other men there? I don't know. I happen to think probably not. It's probably a little fellowship of women. Praise be to the Lord, these titans in Christ. And yet, in obedience to the Lord, because in the, instead of them taking a pastoral role, what do they do? They notify Paul. You see, and don't forget, you know, is Timothy the runner? You hear me say like, you know, t Paul wrote a letter and then he sends a runner to the church. Is it, was it Timothy? Was it Timothy for this specific reason? You know, Timothy was one of several because there were, we're going to see in a couple verses how there were multiple letters sent to the church in Corinth previous letters sent to the church in Corinth. It just so happens that the one that we have before us is one of several. But in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So was Timothy the one who he said? Not just a warm body. Paul's not just saying, Hey, you, you know, go send this letter to the church in Corinth. No, Timothy. Somebody who's been walking with Paul since he was a young child. Walking with Paul year after year after year. Seeing Paul being beaten. You know, in Paul, Paul's entourage. So as Paul was a tent maker, you know, getting proceeds from selling tents, making tents, selling tents, get some proceeds and say, okay, we're going to go get something to eat, guys. Timothy ate of that food closely aligned with Paul. I meant like, not just persona-wise, but like heart-wise. Closeness of mind, closeness of heart. Because, you know, we're gonna, like, they, when Paul says that there's no, of, of Timothy, there's no one as like-minded who has a sincere care for your heart, for your soul, for your walk with Christ. That's like a complete and total alignment of ministry. And Paul uses Timothy. Timothy, I'm going to send you to the church in Corinth. 
I need to teach them of my ways. You need to tell them of my ways. Very interesting when Paul says, teach them of my ways in Christ. Look at the heart of Paul. That Paul's heart is closely aligned with that of the Lord. He doesn't say, you know, teach them my ways in Christ and then, you know, teach this craziness. No, teach them of my ways in Christ and these are what I teach and it's all in alignment with the Word of God, all in alignment with what is pleasing to the Lord. No grieving of the Holy Spirit. You know where the grieving of the Holy Spirit is? It's in this act of carnality, which is the sexual sin that he's writing about. There is a guy in the church who's having sexual relations with his dad's wife. What in the world is happening? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? You see? This is inside the church. Not You know, the world is the world. One time I was talking with junior high kids. Junior high age kids. And I teach from America. This is like middle school. I don't know where you're at, where you're listening. But junior high is like middle school. I don't know what age. Maybe like um, 11 to 14. I don't know. Somewhere around there. 10 to 14. I don't know, somewhere around there. But I'm teaching these young kids. And there was a girl who says, oh, yeah, my friend is doing this and that. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't even know what she was talking about. And I didn't realize that it was like, you know, sexually, sexual related. And I didn't understand because I, didn't, I just didn't know those words, that terminology. And she says, yeah, yeah, my friend is doing this and that. And then I said, well, uh, wh- what is that? And all the kids got, started to look around like, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, like, we can't say it. We can't. They all knew. I didn't know, but they all knew. And then finally, one of the guys, he says, he comes to me, he says, oh, I'll tell you later. And when I found out, it was like, what in the world? I can't believe that. I mean, like, I thought it was bad when I was a kid. And it, it's like worse for the generation that's growing up now. Imagine what it's going to be like in just five short years. Imagine what it's going to be like in just 10 short years. You see, 15 short years, imagine what the world is going to be like. The world is the world. Imagine what the church is going to look like. When you have defunct pastors, defunct elders who will not call people out on sin, like sexual sin of this nature. Not just sexual sin. We're talking about sexual sin because it's here in chapter 5, but all kinds of works of the flesh. Now you have pastors that like to cover it up, sweep sexual sin under the rug. Oh, this elder is doing sexual things with this person in the fellowship. Oh, this youth leader is doing this sexual stuff with the, you know, uh, 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 one of the kids. Oh, let's just sweep it under the rug. Have you ever talked to one of these people, one of their victims? They're destroyed. They're destroyed for the rest of their lives. They're, I, I shouldn't say destroyed, but whew, close to it. Big, 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 tough guys. Tough males, you know, and then like you sit down on a park bench with them and you talk with them and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they're like little teddy bears and then they just open up. Why is it that you, what is it about Jesus Christ that you reject? And then all of a sudden this big behemoth of a guy breaks down i meant like big it breaks down like he's a little five-year-old child or weeps it says i went to church and i was molested the youth leader did this to me the youth leader touched me the youth leader did this the youth leader penetrated 
The youth leader did this. What? And the pastor, so-called pastor, sweeps it under the rug. So-called youth leader sweeps it all under the rug. They think everything's fine and dandy. But meanwhile, you have this adult male who's just destroyed, virtually destroyed. I mean, I, not, I mean, the Lord can fix anything. Any, the Lord can take all that away. But you have victims. And I say destroyed. I should say practically destroyed. The Lord can bring restoration. Now, if that's you, listen to me. If that's you, if you've been victimized in the church by a pastor, so-called pastor or so-called youth leader, that was a wolf. That was a wolf. That was a person who was of their father, the devil, Satan. That should have never happened to you. And they are representatives of Antichrist, Satan himself. And I wish I could. I wish it never happened. I wish it never happened. But it also testifies of this sick and disgusting world. There's a better place. It's called paradise. You might be I've talked to these people before. I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Where you mention the name Jesus Christ and it's repulsive to these people. Repulsive to them. I mean, I mean I've talked to atheists before. Like the Jesus Christ, the name Jesus Christ is repulsive to them because they're they're Satanists, you know. They 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 don't like Jesus Christ, you know. And you know, I pray for these people, but that's like one basket of people. That's one echelon of evangelism and outreach and ministry. That's just the total that's a different ball game. But the name Jesus Christ becomes repulsive to some people who have been victimized. Because, you know, they go into a church on a Sunday morning. And in a Sunday morning, the, they, they break off from their parents. They go in their little youth groups. And you have the youth leader who talks about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and says the name Jesus Christ. And they think, wow, this is a youth leader. But really, he's a servant of Satan. He's a wolf. The kids leave. And the so-called youth leader says, hey, come here, kid. Come here, you. Let me talk to you. Let me give you some special attention. And then boom. The wolf consumes his prey. I have to be very careful. Very careful. Because I want to kill these wolves. And when I say I have to be very careful, I, you know, I mean, I would say like, you know, when we're studying our Bible that, you know, metaphysically, you know, we kill the wolf, metaphys spiritually, you know, we kill the weapons of our warfare. And it's true. Metaphysically, that's what we do. We kill wolves. If you're a shepherd, you kill wolves. Metaphysically, spiritually speaking. But when I say I have to be very careful on people who uh, victimize children or victimize anybody, but, you know, even more so with children, that's where I really have to be careful. Because that's where the metaphysical enters into the physical. 
If you're a pastor and you like to sweep these things under the rug, step down. Step down. Repent. You're not a pastor. What shepherd does that? To a flock that is not his. What shepherd does that? To lamb, lambs and sheep that do not belong to him. Do not belong to him. It's not your flock. It's the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will pay. You will pay, O pastor. You will pay, O youth leader. But to talk to these adult, like big behemoth of a guy. And the name of Jesus Christ is repulsive to him. Because you say Jesus Christ and boom, instantly. A 30-year-old guy, big behemoth of a guy. You say Jesus Christ and he turns into a little five-year-old boy because he's taken back to that moment. It's like, you know, it's like PTSD. It takes him back to right where when he was molested. Same with females. Disgusting stuff. This is in the church. I'm not, the world is the world. This is inside the church. You know, you, 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 sometimes I talk about like being a, 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 a babe in Christ. And, you know, it's beautiful because you have new believers, babies in Christ, you know, become Christians last week, yesterday, maybe even today, last month. Okay, baby in Christ. But let's move on to perfection. Because when you don't move on to perfection, you hear, you, you read these passages, you might hear me say these things, and you say, oh, he's so mean. He's so mean-spirited. That's not mean-spirited. That's the job of a shepherd. It's, it's biblical. It's what the Word of God says. And I say it's the job of a shepherd, but... Look at the task of the Christian, of the church. And that's what we're going to study. We're going to look at that here. It's very dangerous to be a baby in Christ. Because where you see babies in Christ, I mean, sometimes you go inside a church, you sit in the pew, and you listen, and what's being taught, it's like there's no meat here. It's just, it's like baby food. It's like, why is this pastor teaching and he's got like a bottle to everybody? And then you see old people there. It's like, okay. Uh, yeah. Then you talk to the old people, servant, sermon's over. You know, you have the little meet and greet or whatever afterwards. And it's like, you know, how long you been coming here? How long you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years. How long you been coming here? Oh, I've been the same, 30 years. It's like, what? Okay, okay. And then you talk to them. It's like, oh, I never heard that before. I'm so blessed by this sermon. And, it, you know, it's beautiful to be blessed by a sermon, you know, if, if it, as long as it's aligning with the Word of God. But if it's baby food, if you've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, and you're, you know, still being blessed by baby food, be blessed by chicken. Be blessed by the spiritual pork chops where you can use your teeth and get into the meat but if you haven't grown you're just drinking milk 
my friend. Oh, that's so mean. How dare you? Don't judge lest you be judged. It's not mean spirit at all. Look at what gets, look at what happens inside of a carnal church. Look at the works of the flesh that happen inside of a carnal church. And you know what? Wolves, those servants of Satan, those servants of the devil who call themselves pastors, they like to feed milk. They like to feed milk because if you were Bereans, they wouldn't get away with what they get away with. Wolves like to teach basics. Wolves like to feed baby food. You have to be wise. This guy in the church here in chapter 5 verse 1 this guy is having sexual relations with this dad's wife. And then all of a sudden in verse 2, and you are puffed up, you're arrogant, you're proud about it. You, you, He says you guys are puffed up and have not rather mourned, which is to grieve and wail. He says you got, you're, instead of mourning, you guys are proud about it. Loud and proud. That's like the that zeitgeist, you know, the spirit of the age. Loud and proud. That's the world. But now it's in the church. Today, now it's in the church. The zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, you know, uh, the same thing, nothing new under the sun. Corinth was such a fellowship. The hustle-bustle city of Corinth. And in this hustle-bustle city was this group of people called Christians. But they had some problems. There were some major issues going on in the church. Paul says in verse 2, you guys are puffed up. You guys are proud. Arrogant even. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. You see, Paul so mean-spirited, people say. I don't think Paul would be well-received in the church today. Well, that's not loving to, to take this guy and, and take him away from among the church. That's so mean-spirited. You see, pastors who teach Oh, let's just love on this person and let God take care of the rest. Well, when God takes care of people, I meant with sin, with carnality, with works of the flesh, He uses His vessels. The Lord uses His vessels. Old Testament, New Testament, He uses His vessels. I mean, if you're in a position where you're going to not take on that responsibility. If you're a pastor, if you're a shepherd, if you're a youth leader, if you're a Bible teacher, and you're not going to take on that responsibility, you need to question your calling. It calls into question your calling. Because no shepherd, no shepherd would victimize a flock sheep and lamb that are not his no shepherd would do such a thing 
No shepherd of the Lord. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. Let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. That's, that's very common in the church today. That mentality. It's very dangerous. The vessels that God uses, you know, God, you, it, you see it, Old Testament and New Testament. Look at Moses, how the Lord used the vessel Moses, how the Lord used the vessel Aaron. How the Lord is using the vessel Paul. How the Lord used the vessels in Chloe's household. You see, with in the state of these defunct pastors. So-called pastors, elders, so-called elders. Why is it that inside the church, this guy was having sexual relations with his dad's wife? And why did it take Paul to write about it after three years? Why did it take Paul? You say, wow, you know, that's a heavy indictment on the church. You know, this is the, the Bible, the Holy Bible. Yes, it's the Holy Bible. But understand that inside the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we're going to see a lot of ugly. A lot of ugly. This is one of those passages which is a lot of ugly. Paul says, you guys are puffed up and rather and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder... You can never be a people pleaser. You have to be a God pleaser. Now, in being a God pleaser, you will also, in tandem with that, you will also, as a byproduct of pleasing the Lord, you're going to please people. You're going to please the godly. You're going to please the Bereans because they're going to be fed. And they're not going to be pleased like in you. They're going to be pleased in the Lord. You're just a vessel. Remember, you plant, you water, it's God who gives the increase. They're going to be pleased with you, but it's the Lord. And you can never take that glory from the Lord. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, Bible teacher, youth leader, you can never take that glory from the Lord. If you have taken the glory from the Lord, repent. If you're a man-pleaser pastor and you teach baby food, that's not going to cut it. Oh, that's so judgmental. Look at the world. It's not going to cut it. If you're a pastor, elder, Bible teacher, and you teach baby food, not in these days. Definitely not. The world is crazy. And the world is entering the church, and now the church is getting crazy, and the prophesied apostasy is already happening. A defection away from truth. Don't forget it's a form of judgment too. Because people have no love of truth. And God, there's the uh, strong delusion because they believe the lie. It's prophesied to happen. It's happening. But among the remnant, it's different. A people set apart, consecrated to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Be a God pleaser. Remember, in, in chapter 4, and when we ended our study last week, Paul says in verse 21, at the very end, what do you want? He, said, he poses the question to them, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod 
or in love and a spirit of gentleness. You pick, you pick, guys. That's what he says to the church. So he, he writes this letter. Say we're the, the church in Corinth. And all of a sudden somebody comes in, maybe Timothy, maybe it was somebody else. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Okay, open it up. Let's read it. And here we are, all kinds of carnality in our fellowship, all kinds of works of the flesh. Everybody's having sex. Everybody's doing this. There's a guy having sex with his dad's wife. Everybody's doing sex over here. All kinds of works in the flesh. And we're like, okay, guys, let's read Paul's letter. And then we get to this part in chapter 4, verse 21. He says, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Hmm, interesting, guys. Let's keep reading. And then all of a sudden, he starts to call us on all these things that are happening in the fellowship. It is actually reported that they're, and we're just like, what? And this is Paul. It's not some Joe Schmo. This is Paul. Remember, in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, he says. Though you might have 10,000 instructors, remember, baby teachers, preschool teachers, we studied that last week. Though you might have 10,000 preschool teachers, teachers of boys, teachers of children, though you might have 10,000 baby teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So this is Paul's words. This is that guy. Not one of these, you know, many teachers. It's this guy, the one who has begotten, begotten us in Christ, which is like birthed, which is physically impossible for a guy to give birth. I don't care what the, you know, modern science says, you know, oh, this guy gave birth, this guy gave birth. No, that's not, a, you know, originally it was a female they do their transgender change and then all be you know says he's a male and then all of a sudden it has the baby it's like no it's it's a a female it's always been a female always i don't that's modern science and in these last days science so-called science it's crazy it's 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 getting like it's crazy woe to those who call evil good and good evil and it's gonna get worse it's going to get worse. Now, let me tell you something, too. If you're transgender, if, you know, your sexual identity, if you're just, you know, you don't know or whatever. In the beginning, God created male and female. Male and female. Don't be confused. God is not the author of confusion. Don't be confused. God loves you he loves you and it's so crazy you know i've had, I've had these conversations before with you know sexually confused people homosexuals lesbians and you talk with them it's like wow you know it's like this confusion understand that god is not the author of confusion where you see confusion that is evidence of satan lucifer And you know what he does? Turn with me to Luke 8. 
In Luke 8, verse 12, well, verse 11, Luke 8, verse 11 says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, hear the word of God. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see? So we know God is not the author of confusion. And you hear me say, where you see confusion, you also see Satan. You also see the works of the devil. And if you have this sexual confusion, you know, it's like, am I a guy? Am I a girl? Am I male? Am I female? Or, you know, I'm, what do I do? do I, am I homosexual? Am I lesbian? Am I this? Am I that? That is confusion, my friend. That is confusion. And you're hearing us study the Bible. You're hearing the word of God. But do you know what's, hap what's happening spiritually? Do you know what's happening right now? Because this, uh, the author of confusion is doing a work. He's attempting, Satan is attempting to take away the word out of your heart. Why? Because he does not want you to believe and be saved. He wants to kill you. He's going to hell and he knows it. And he wants to drag you with him. He wants to drag you there. Why? Because you're created in God's image. And he knows that God loves you. He just doesn't want you to know that. You're created in God's image and he wants to drag you to hell. That's what I meant. Point blank, that's what's happening spiritually in the spirit realm. Now you have a choice to make. Knowing that God loves you, knowing that he is not the author of confusion, knowing that he made a way, Jesus Christ, knowing that he takes your sin and puts it on his son so that you might live because he loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. Now you have a choice to make. Do you believe? That's your choice to make. I've made my choice. But you have your choice to make. Now that the cards have been laid out plainly, and you can see everything plainly laid out, Satan doesn't want you to believe. He is the author of confusion. And God loves you. You have a choice. Now, if you do believe, you say, oh, I don't understand the Bible. That's fine. I, that's fine. You know, when I first became a Christian, I knew nothing. <laughs> I, I, I knew the basics. You know what the basics were? Chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's it. That's all I knew. And I also knew some other things that were false because I, the Lord rescued me out of Catholicism. So I thought, okay, you know, Virgin Mary this, the sacraments here, this, all these things. I thought something completely different. And then I started reading the Bible. Let's continue. Or, you know, I, I want to continue, but before we continue, I also want to say that if, if that's you, if you're a non-believer and you're listening, or maybe homosexual, you have this uh, lesbianism or uh, transgenderism, you have this sexual confusion... And you hear me say these things, you're like, wow, you know what? 
I get it now. I believe if that's you, hit pause right now. Hit pause. Well, not right now. Let me say what I got to say and then hit pause. <laughs> so after you hit pause, well, just hit, before you hit pause, search for our study. It's like a little, the, the sinners, how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Listen to that and say the sinner's prayer. You need to repent. You need to be alive in Jesus Christ. You need to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And so now hit pause and then listen to that. And then come back and continue our study. So let's continue now in our study here in chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse uh, verse 3, he says, For indeed as absent in body but present in spirit, he says, For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged. You see, I have already judged. This is the, another rare usage of the word crino. It's a judicial decision, but it's hardcore. It is like, uh, I mean, it, it, the word crino is like condemnation, but it's in this particular usage, it's a judicial decision, but it's very hardcore. It's like a very a strict form of like, this is hardcore. And you say like, okay, I don't get it. What do you mean hardcore? Well, look what happens here. He says, I indeed as absent in the body, but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present. I already judged him who has so done this deed. Now, how many times do you hear people say, don't judge lest you be judged? That's what you hear people say. That's what you hear inside the church. Christians, don't judge lest you be judged. That's also an argument of children. That's also a statement of children. Don't judge lest you be judged. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 really quick. Matthew chapter 7. And this is what the Bible says. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. And, you know, that's why people say, judge not lest you be judged. Because it is written. But let's continue and see what verse 2 says. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye. So if you're going to judge, if you're going to make these determinations, if you're going to make these assessments and judicial decisions in Christ, in the church, upon another brother, another sister, you cannot have a plank in your eye. You're going to call a brother on a speck in his eye, but you yourself have this big fat two by four in your face. Don't do that. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. And where you see hypocrisy among pastors, where you see hypocrisy among elders, where you see hypocrisy among Bible teachers, among youth leaders, among ministry leaders, where you see hypocrisy, you also see in a biblical incapability of correcting a brother or sister. They are biblically disqualified when you see the works of the flesh among ministry leaders. 
Look at the state of the church. You see? And you understand why judgment comes first in the house of God. Because God cleans house. Just as he does in the Old Testament. Remember? He never changes. People say, oh yeah, I, don't, I like to read the New Testament. I don't like the Old Testament because God is so mean. He's so mean. He's so judgmental. You know, too much wrath in the... Do you you want to read the, the New Testament? Look, we're reading the New Testament. Judgment is still coming. But we get so spoiled. We get so spoiled, we become complacent. And complacency kills. Never forget that. Complacency kills. In verse 3, you have to, what's written here in Matthew 7, verse 3, you have to take the plank out of your own eye. And then when you take the plank out of your own eye in obedience to the Lord, you're able to see clearly. In verse 4, he says, Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? Your eye is correcting another brother, correcting another sister. And look, a plank is in your own eye. The Lord is saying, red letters, the Lord is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. That is hypocrisy. He even says, verse 5, hypocrite, exclamation point. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's not to say, don't judge lest you be judged, period. It's, you know, don't judge lest you be judged, but then there are qualifiers, biblical qualifiers. You know what Satan does? And wolves, servants of Satan do this too? They use this to their advantage. They say, okay, let's not judge anybody. Let's not be judgmental. This is a, a no judge, a judgment-free zone. We're not going to judge you. And so what do you have? All kinds of works of the flesh happening in fellowships. Sexual sin, sex, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of works of the flesh, carnality. And nobody is correcting. Babies cannot correct because they're babies. It should be the shepherds. You see? Where are those of the household of Chloe? That's what I want to know. In th Today, where are those in the household of Chloe? Praise be to the Lord that we have this biblical model of what's happening inside a carnal church. So you hear pastors today say, oh, this is a judgment-free ju zone. We're not going to judge you at all, you know, and you have baby Christians in their fellowship. Look at what Paul does. Look at what Paul does in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3. He says, for I indeed as absent in the body, but present in spirit, I've already judged as though I were present. He says, I've already judged him who has done this deed. He's, he's not a hypocrite. He doesn't have a plank in his, in his eye. He's taken the plank out of his eye in obedience to Jesus Christ. And now he's able to see clearly. And because he's not a hypocrite, because you don't see the works of the flesh, because he is so rendered to Jesus Christ, now he is biblically qualified to correct this fellowship in Corinth. The church in Corinth. He is biblically qualified. And now that he's qualified, 
Now that he's exercising his apostleship and serving the Lord, yes, as he says, you know, we're nothing. We we're, we plant, we water, but it's God who gives the increase. And yet at the same time, he has a responsibility. He has a job to do, all in service unto the Lord. But he has a role in the church. This is what he says in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. Whoa. You know, if, if Paul were to be in a time machine and come to church today, come inside a fellowship, a mega church, where you have a bunch of baby believers, nobody's maturing in Christ. And if Paul were to say this, they would throw him out. They would pick him up and drag him up the aisle, open the doors, kick the doors open, and throw him out in the street. You're mean-spirited. That's not of Christ. That's not of God. You're so mean. The very beginning of verse 4, Paul says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the very beginning of verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan. Whoa. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, notice an assembly. That's how it translates in assembly. Just like you see an assembly in the wilderness in our study in the Old Testament, an assembly, assembly, the congregation of Israel, the same exact thing. Carnality, the works of the flesh, it's exactly the same. And the same God deals with, you know, he also chastises. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. When you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. Now, notice, he's saying, you know, you, you, you gather, you fellowship. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to say that they don't have power. It's to say, you need to, you need to exercise, you need to utilize this, you need to... Uh, Access these very things that are given to you as, from the Lord. And that's the danger of being a baby. Babies don't pick up swords. You know, babies don't. It's too heavy for them. That's. You start to understand why I say like it is dangerous to be a baby. It's not good to be a baby. It's good to be a baby if you become a Christian like today. It's good to drink milk if you've been a Christian for a week. Maybe a month. I would say a month is pushing it. But grow. Matriculate. In Christ, you could have a 15-year-old and an 80-year-old. And in, in the world, you say, okay, this 80-year-old is, you know, the, the old one and the 15-year-old is wet behind the ears. But in Christ, it can be the exact opposite where you can have an 80-year-old baby and a 15-year-old mature titan. In Christ. It's not just to deliver such a one to this. 
This is the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. He says, deliver such a one to Satan. Take this guy and, you know, take him away from among you. Remember verse 2? Take that he be taken that this deed might be taken away from among you, and in verse five, deliver such a one to Satan, and not just you know, hey, you know, this guy's out of here, you know, let's kick him out of here, you know, hey, he's with Satan. There's a reason, there's a specific reason what's happening here. Deliver such a one to Satan. Here's the reason for the destruction of the flesh. For the destruction of the flesh, it's very important to understand this. For the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, for the longest time, this verse used to really irk me. For the longest time. It, it bothered me. I didn't really understand. I didn't get it. How... Paul, how could you say, take this guy and deliver him to Satan? How could you, Paul, what's happening here, Paul? How could you say that? And Paul, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Lord. Oh, my beautiful Lord. How could you, how could this be in your, in your word to deliver such a one to Satan? And then I heard a testimony. And there was a homosexual. He was on his deathbed. He's in a hospital bed. He has all these sores on his body. And I've told you this before, but I'll say it again. There's a homosexual. And he's dying. He's HIV positive. He's dying of AIDS. His body's shutting down. He's on his deathbed. He's very, very weak. Very skinny. Very thin. His body's just giving out. And he gave his testimony right there on his deathbed. And he started to explain how he was raised in the church. And when he became of, you know, this teenager, young teenager, something happened to where it, somebody prayed upon him. And, you know, a male prayed upon him. And all of a sudden he was turned to homosexual tendencies. And then the parents, they were like, hey, you know, come back. The kid was like a, a runaway. He would run away and stay awake and stay for a long period of time and come back. And, you know, he, they, they were Christians. He would go to church. He said, oh, he's just a troubled teen. He's just a troubled teen. No, Satan was trying to kill him. The pastors, they were saying all these, hey, you know, come to church. And finally, he just says, I'm done with this. I'm out. I'm going to go. I'm running away and I'm not coming back. I am done. He left as a teenager, never came back. And then he just said, okay, I'm out of here. I'm in the world. I'm doing my thing. And he was like, you know, homosexuality, homosexual lifestyle, multiple sexual partners, all these things. And then finally, he got the pinch. AIDS, HIV positive. And he was dying. And then he's on his deathbed. And he gave his testimony. And he was weeping. Like, I mean, when you're of full energy, you can weep and you still have energy. But when you're weak and you weep and you cry, that's like you're sleeping for the rest of the day because that wipes you out. That's like all your energy for the day, if not, you know, several days. And he was weeping. And saying, you know what? I left the church and you know what? I, I did all these things. And he was rejoicing. 
He said this needed to happen so that I could repent and come back to Christ. The destruction of my flesh. And then I understood. You see, he died. He died. He came to Christ. You know, he was homosexual and he denied his life. He came to Christ, but he came to Christ at the very end after he already got the pinch. And I can't wait to meet him. In our glorified bodies, I can't wait to meet him. And I'm going to embrace him and tell him how he was an encouragement to me because he helped me understand these passages, his testimony, his witness, his witness in the hospital bed, not his witness, but he didn't have a witness. But you see the destruction of his flesh. Now I understand this verse differently because I used to read this like, wow, I don't get this. Commit, deliver such a one in the name of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I don't get it, Lord. I don't understand it, Lord. And then boom, I hear this homosexual's former homosexual's testimony. He repented of his lifestyle, came to Jesus Christ, committed his life to Jesus Christ. And then shortly thereafter, he died. You see, it's incredible, you know, this life that we have here. So many times we, we place major emphasis on, you know, a decade. We make place major emphasis on 50 years, 100 years, you know, if you get to live that long. I don't know. But don't forget the Bible says this is just a vapor, a tiny fraction of time. You might live to be, you know, 80 years old. I, you know, I think by the time I'm 75, I'll be, um, you know, I'll be in the dirt already. Well, into the dirt already. If the Lord does, if the Lord tarries. You know, but by the time I hit 75, I'll be like 10 years in the dirt. So I, I only got like, you know, five years left. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you're hardcore, you know, you, the, the Lord is gracious and he lets you live for 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, maybe even 120 years. Oh, look, that guy had such longevity of life. Wow, he's so blessed. No, this life is just a vapor. You take your last breath here on earth and you take your first breath in eternity. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For the Christian. Present with the Lord, paradise. But, you know, I say for the Christian, that's paradise with the Lord. For the non-believer, you take your last breath here on earth and then you await judgment. The second death. That's what the Bible teaches. Oh, but the Bible's so full of fairy tales. You Christians are crazy. Show me. I'm a little crazy, but show me. The Bible's so full of contradictions. Show me. So many times people tell me, oh, the Bible's so full of contradictions. You know what the contradiction is? You. I mean, if you're an atheist, if you're a non-believer and you play that game, say, oh, the Bible's so full of contradictions. No, your life is full of contradictions and you know it. You just don't want to admit it. It's confusion. You're confused. 
spiritually confused, mentally confused. That's the handiwork of Satan. That's the handiwork of the devil. He doesn't want you to believe what we read in Luke 8. He doesn't want you to believe. He's scared that you might believe because he wants to drag you to hell. And when you don't believe, hook, line, and sinker, you go with him. Don't let that happen. God loves you. I don't care. Homosexual, prostitute, I don't care. I really, really don't care. You say, oh, I want to, I'll come to Christ, but let me clean up my life. Let me give up the sex. Let me give up the drugs. No, you believe in Jesus Christ. You come to Christ right here, right now. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to become a Christian or how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You do it right here, right now. And Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. Then you learn. Then you start to read the Bible. And you know, once you believe in Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will explain these things to you. And will help you. And then you'll start to understand, okay, you know, I used to believe this, but now the Bible says this. Okay, Lord, I've, you know, I repented before you because, you know, I didn't understand. Now I understand, Lord. And then you live accordingly. Honoring the word of God. Honoring the Lord with your life. These days are evil. And it's going to get worse. Christians will be in the crosshairs. Christians already are, are in the crosshairs. Even that in itself is evidence of the last days. The spirit of Antichrist. Paul says this. In verse 6, he says, your glorying is not good. Translates as your rejoicing is not good. That's, can you imagine? The church comes together. The church gathers, gathers together and, you know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. They have their moment of worship, singing hymns unto the Lord. And Paul says, you guys, that's not good. Your gathering is not good. It's just, it just blows me away so much. You know, your glory is not good. Don't forget that in Hebrews 10, you know, the Bible teaches us don't take, don't forsake the assembly of the saints. No, the assembly of the saints is a beautiful thing. But the assembly of the saints, the assembly of those consecrated unto him, the assembly of those set apart unto him. You say, wait a second, that's a little harsh there. I know it is. Is not the carnality, is not the work of the flesh what is harsh among the body? Is not the works of the flesh is what's harsh? When Paul says here in verse 6, your rejoicing is not good. You see? Oh, everything's fine. Let's just come to church. Let's meet together. Let's not forsake the gathering of the saints. Let's not forsake the assembly of the saints. Come on, let's just come to church. And here, let's just feed on this milk. Here, drink your milk. Let's drink milk. Oh, you're having sex. Okay, no big deal. Oh, you guys are having sex. No big deal. It's okay. God is love. You guys are having sex. You know what? That's the doorway to apostasy. That's the doorway to apostasy. And it's happening. 
The fellowship of the saints is beautiful. But then at the same time, understand that it's for a consecrated people, a people set apart. These baby Christians in Corinth, Paul writes this letter, and in the course of time, as we continue to study chap, you know, further chapters and get into 2 Corinthians, you're going to see a different church. You're going to see a church that is more mature. Paul can start to teach to them deeper, deeper spiritual things, no longer milk. Why? Repentance. Repentance. Hearts that have been so rendered unto the Lord again. And then they grow and they mature. If you're a baby in Christ, if you became a believer today, praise be to the Lord. If you became a believer last week, last month, praise be to the Lord. But if you're a baby in Christ and you've been a Christian for a year or more, don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Start eating the deep spiritual things. That Start eating the meat, the spiritual pork chops, the deep spiritual things that we learn from Holy Scripture and that we study. Learn to be a Berean. Paul says to the church, your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now remember, leaven is a type of sin, but you know, if you're a baker, you know, you make bread, you have to add the yeast and leaven is like yeast. You add the yeast. If you don't add yeast, you have like crackers, you know, <laughs> like little biscuits, but you add the yeast and all of a sudden it starts to grow. You let it sit and then it grows, you let it sit a little bit more and then it grows more and then, you know, you bake it and then, you know, it's nice, nice loaf of bread. That's what yeast does. That's what Paul's writing about here. Leaven. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That's leaven. I mean, you, you take leaven, you take yeast, you put it in the dough, mix the dough, mix everything. You put the, leaven, the, the yeast in there and then you let it sit. That yeast is going to change. You go, you know, sit down in the other room, read a book, read your Bible. You know, you pray, you come back. That loaf isn't the same or that dough isn't the same. It's going to be bigger. Because it's growing, it's like expanding because of the yeast or because of the leaven. And so look what happens here. In verse uh, 7, he says, Therefore, purge out or purge and cleanse the old leaven that you may be a new lump. A new lump. Furama in the Greek. Furama. You know what it is? It is a mass of... Uh, a mass of mixed dough, which is flour and oil. A mass of mixed dough, flour and oil. Does that ring a bell? Do you remember our study on Wednesday? Numbers 15. An Old Testament example of a little leaven leavens the bunch. Do you remember? It was just a couple days ago. And how beautiful is it that we see these uh, alignment with our New Testament studies? The same concept. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. 
Enu furama in the Greek. Dough, infused dough, flour and oil. Just like the, the offerings in the Old Testament, the grain offering. What was given, you know, in atonement unto the Lord, for the people to be atoned by the Lord, to have uh, forgiveness of sin. And remember, they bring their offering, they bring the, the sacrifice, they bring their offering, but then also the flour and oil. He says, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, a new lump, since you are truly unleavened, or that translates as that you would be unleavened. You see, for indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Sacrificed for us. Very interesting. So what do we see here in verse 7? You see the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. You see the offering, the church. You, Christians. And then you see the flower. And the oil. Just like our study in Numbers on Wednesday. You see? You see these alignment with the old. That's why, you know, sometimes I gloss over it and say we studied the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. The old interprets the new. The new interprets the old. And, you know, it gets kind of like, you know, not robotic. But, I mean, sometimes you hear that and you're like, okay, here he's going again. But I say it for a reason. Because the old interprets the new, the new interprets the old. Look at how this aligns perfectly. Christ is our Passover. And was sacrificed for us. And so it's very interesting to see these passages spoken to a young carnal church. But at the same time, Paul is addressing this carnality and remember the question he posed to them last week in our study in chapter 4 verse 21 what do you want guys what is it that you want guys shall i come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness so say for example we're that church in corinth and we have all kinds of works of the flesh in our fellowship it's like wow i don't want i don't i don't want paul to come here with a rod Okay. You guys, we need to repent. Take that brother, get that brother, you know, let's send him out. Hey, we have to commit you to Satan. We have to deliver you to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That your spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see? And it's not just, it's not over for that guy. Because we're going to see in chapter 2, Paul says, okay, bring him back in. Bring him back in. You see? I'm breaking a fellowship. And then all of a sudden in chapter 2, take that brother and bring him back in the fellowship. You see? It's like that period of uncleanness. Uncleanness. Remember when, like when the Lord struck Miriam and she had leprosy? But forget Miriam. I mean, that was that was, that was bad that happened to Miriam. A form of chastisement unto Miriam. But what about just not Miriam, but somebody else who was a leper? 
And they were a leper, and then all of a sudden, okay, outside the camp. Because the camp is sacred. The camp is a people set apart. Leprosy, okay, you're outside the camp. You're still with us, but you're outside the camp. Not inside the camp. So you're like with us, but you're not with us. You're outside the camp. And then the priest would come and inspect. Okay, let me look at your arm. Let me look at your leg. Let me look at this. Let me look at that. Nope, the leprosy is still there. You know, a couple days later, let me check it out. Okay, no leprosy. Praise be to the Lord. Let's come back into the camp. But then there was still a process coming back into the camp. We have it so easy now. We're but we're not under the law. I mean, if you're abiding in Christ, you're not under the law. But yet, at the same time, we read these passages in the law, and we still understand the same exact concept in the church. Not the same exact, like, you know, like, you know, the same concept of uncleanness. Uncleanness before the Lord. And then what are the, the, the steps taken to take this person Put them outside the camp, put them outside the fellowship, outside the church, and then bring them back in. What is the conditions where a person is brought back into the into the camp of Israel? No leprosy. You see? The same thing in the church. From unclean to clean again. Right with the Lord. Oh, once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. And yeah, I'm just having sex like crazy now. So I'm good to go. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. No liar, fornicator will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Don't be deceived. Look what happens here. Paul says here in verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast. Let us keep the feast. Not with the old leaven, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Very interesting what's happening here. So he says, therefore, in verse 8, therefore, let us keep the feast. Now, uh, the Hebrew Roots Movement people, the Hebrew Roots people, you see, we're supposed to keep the feast. We're supposed to participate in the feast of tabernacles, the feast of booths, the feast of weeks, the feast of... Uh, unleavened bread. We're supposed to do that. No. No. Let's do the works of the law. No. Let us keep the feast. But he says, not with the old leaven. Don't forget this is this old leaven that is referenced is symbolic of the law. And this leaven is the sexual sin. But then at the same time, he says, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Malice is the, uh, um, uh, the desire to cause pain and injury. And then he adds on, and wickedness, which is the plotting of malice and depravity. He says, not with that. Let us keep the feast. Not with that leaven. 
we're talking about all the, the works of the flesh, the sexual sin, the malice, the wickedness. Let us keep the feast, not with that leaven, the old leaven, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, this is so beautiful because this is the feast of the new covenant, sincerity and truth. And Paul says, let us keep the feast. The Hebrew Roots Movement people will say, you see, keep the feast. We're supposed to do these things, the works of the law. No. He doesn't say that. Leaven inside the church, Paul says, it's not good. Your rejoicing is not good. So you have a what's happening here in the church in Corinth. You have this sexual sin. And then he throws in here in verse 8, the malice, which is the desire to cause pain and injury. And then you have here also the wickedness, which is the plotting of malice. And I have to tell you, we experience, you know, some sin. You know, all churches experience carnality, works of the flesh, but it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. If you're a pastor, you cannot be a man pleaser. We all deal with these things in, in, in fellowships. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. You're so mean. It's don't judge lest you be judged. No, it's not, it's it's not like that. It's not judging like, hey, you're gonna burn in hell. But there is a form of judicial decisions that need to happen in the church. And it's not happening. Why? Because you have hirelings. You have man pleasers, very few God pleasers. These are things that happen in fellowships. And fellowships grow to be anemic. And judgment comes first in the house of God. Understanding that, we see that God is cleaning house. God is cleaning house. You see the, the leaven, which is the sexual sin, the malice, the wickedness. But the remnant is sincerity and truth. That's the remnant. Now, sexual sin here, this leaven that Paul is addressing here, it's demonic. There's demonic roots in it. He said, oh, does that mean that Satan is at work in the church? He can be. He wants to kill and destroy. He wants to kill and destroy. He does, he's not afraid of baby Christians. This form of leaven, especially when it comes to sexuality, has some major demonic roots, which, you know, the Jezebel spirit. But when you hearken to our studies in the Old Testament, and we haven't really got into it, like, majorly, a little bit. But these gods of Canaanites, these gods of the of Canaan, of, of uh, the Amorites, of the Hittites, the Hivites, their gods, Asherah, Ishtar, Ashtoreth, you know, today in our, our in the worlds today, the Eastern Orthodox, the Anglicans, and also the Roman Catholics call the Queen of Heaven. Asherah. Ashtoreth. The Queen of Heaven. Read Jeremiah 7. See what the Lord has to say about it. Jeremiah 7. Read it in your own private studies. Read Jeremiah 7 and see what the Lord has to say about the Queen of Heaven. 
Very interesting days that we live in. Very, very interesting days that we live in. And if you remember our study a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday, when the Canaanites defeated Israel, they, they, they suffered a loss. Israel suffered a loss. Israel gets defeated by, it's not that they were defeated by the Canaanites. I mean, you could look at that situation, that, that scene that we studied with our carnal, with, I mean, not with our carnal eyes, but you could look at it with carnal eyes and see like, wow, Israel suffered defeat. And they did suffer defeat. But why did they suffer defeat? Disobedience to the Lord. You see? You start to see this demonic attributes. The handiwork of Satan in churches, in fellowships. He's, he's up to his old tricks. You see? Warriors, fighters, people with wisdom. We cannot be stupid people in these last days. You say, oh, that's so mean spirit. You say stupid people. Idiotes in the Greek. It's biblical. We cannot be idiotes. We have to be wise. And we have to understand these things. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. That's how we have to be. Because in the last days, the beast from the earth is going to rise. The beast from the sea is going to rise. With all kinds of lying wonders, performing miracles, signs and wonders. And on top of that, in that time period, when we study the events of the last days, also the Holy Spirit will be lifted. You see? You look at the multitude of people, Christians, it's easy to understand why there will be a great falling away. It's easy to understand how this apostasy can enter. Not so with the remnant. Bereans. Not so with the remnant. And in this remnant, in verse 8, where Paul says, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven. Not, you know, you, you hear me say, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, which is in the Bible, but reckon. You, these are things that you have to do individually. You take the old man and you throw him in the trash. You take the old woman and you throw her in the trash. You have to. I mean, I say you have to because, you know. I encourage you to. I don't want to sound like, you know, how you hear people say, well, I encourage you to do this. No, you have to. Do it. Take the old man, the old nature, the old carnal ways, and throw that guy in the trash. And do the same. You know, the old woman, throw her in the trash. Because you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new wineskin in Christ, and only new wine can be the vessel of uh, only new wineskin can be the vessel of new wine. I don't want to, you know. Oh, I, I just want to encourage you to reckon the old man dead. I just want to encourage you to no, do it. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Because it is dangerous not to. 
and you see it, you look at the destruction around you. Look at the destruction around you of the world is the world. In the church, look at the destruction around you inside the church. Destruction. The handiwork of Satan. You know why? Because he's not afraid of babies. He's not afraid of babies. He likes it when you're on milk. Now, you might hear me say this, and you're the cause of the destruction because you believe the lie. Repent. Recommit your life to Jesus Christ and grow and mature and fight the good fight. Fight. You must. Oh, I just want to encourage you. You know, yeah, there's that aspect of, I just want to encourage you. But no, in these dark days, in these last days, you know, you have to make a choice. You know, the, the gray is disappearing. The gray is gone. It's black or white. You have to make a choice. And so look what happens here in closing. This Everything we looked at was inside the church from verse 1 to verse 8 inside the church. Whoa, that is heavy. Heavy, heavy, heavy. That is heavy. Inside the church. Now, let's look at outside the church. In verse 9, <clears throat> I wrote to you in my epistle. So that's why, you know, the, the, there's evidence that there are, you know, multiple letters to the church in Corinth. You know, we just got one of several, or actually two of several when you can account for First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. That's why. Because he says, I wrote to you in my epistle. Epistle is just letter or uh, 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 um, words that were written, you know. So I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Remember, that's this the derivative of the sexually immoral people. That's the derivative of pornos is what it is in, in the Greek pornos, which is a fornicator, a whoremonger, debauchery, and prostitutes. And Paul says, I wrote to you not to keep company with these sexual immoral people. But he says this in verse 10. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Very interesting. Very interesting because this is outside the church. I mean, we still have, I mean, you go to the grocery store. You might run into sexually immoral people. I mean, not you might, but you probably will run into sexually immoral people. People the cohabitating, unmarried cohabitating, sexual relations, people with multiple partners, you know, same sex, all kinds. I mean, it's the world. I mean, I, I know it, it rubs you the wrong way to hear me say that or even for to, the thought of it going in your ears. It's like, but that's the world. That's the world that we live in. And it's going to get worse. But it's still the world. And Paul says, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners. So, you know, you, you hear me say, you know, the, all these sexual sins, but he goes on further. The covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. I, I, 
I'm so in love with Paul. I'm so in love with Paul. He just lays it out point blank. You'd have to go out. Of, you would have to get like in a space shuttle. If we wanted to, if, if, if we wanted to stay away from the sexually immoral, the covetous, the extortioners, the idolaters, we'd have to get in a space shuttle. We would need to go out of this world. You know, for, for how, how can we expect holiness? How can we expect holiness from the world? How can we expect holiness from an unholy people? You can't. You can't. Now, if you're a non-believer, you're listening, you're like, oh, how dare he says I'm unholy. Well, I was unholy too at one point in my life. I was very unholy. I meant all these things that you see in verse 10, you know, guilty. Turn with me really quick to Romans 10. Romans 10. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see? I mean, verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can we expect people to call on the name of the Lord when they don't even know the Lord? How can we expect holiness from an unholy people? It can't be done. You see? If, if we were not to, you know, have any kind of contact with the, the, the world, with the worldly people, then it's this, we'd have to get in a space shuttle because it's all around us. The covetous, the sexually immoral. It's all around us. It's everywhere you go. Paul is saying, no, we, we, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. I mean, you can buy your groceries, go to the grocery store. You know, say hi to a person. You don't know that person might be covetous. That person might be an idolater. That person might be doing whatever kind of sexual sin. Sin. Maybe you know about it. You've heard about it. Or your coworker and he brags about it. She brags about it. That's the world. You, you cannot expect righteousness from the world. And I say that not to shame you like, you know, how dare you feel like, you know, not, not, not like. I'm telling you this. So you can be of good comfort in your heart of hearts, in your conscience. That you can have comfort in your heart. Because that's the world. And here we are in this grandiose world. And size-wise, I'm saying. And yes, there's all kinds of filth, all kinds of nastiness, all kinds of whatever. And here we are, a people of the way, traversing, making our way to paradise. You see? But it's not just to say, oh, look how awesome we are. Look how we're of the elect. No, we're wise, we're warriors, we're fighters. But then at the same time, we're also fishermen. We're also fisherwomen. You see? Verse 15, how shall they... How shall they preach unless they are sent? 
Verse 14, how shall how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, explains how that happens. Somebody has to preach. Somebody has to declare it. And for somebody to declare it, somebody has to be sent. We have to be wise. Wise fishermen, wise fisherwomen, and also warriors. So let's go back to our study in 1 Corinthians 5. In closing, Paul says, I certainly did not, in verse 10, I certainly did not mean when he says, I wrote in my epistle not to keep company with the sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company, not to associate or mix together with anyone named a brother. Whoa. Inside the church. A lot of churches, if pastors would teach in 1 Corinthians 5, a lot of churches would be slim. A lot of people would leave. Because of carnality. The word of God brings conviction. I'm the first to admit. And we study the word of God. These are very difficult passages to read through. Because the Lord addresses sexual sin and carnality in, in the church. So you can be in the world. With all the works of the flesh, you can be in the world and still go to the grocery store, go to, you know, the post office, go to the bank, do whatever, go out to eat, do, you know, do all kinds of things. And, you, you know, you're with all these different people, the works of the flesh, the world, that's the world. But then inside the church, it's a different ballgame. Why? Because we're a people set apart. We're a people consecrated unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He says not to keep company with anyone named a brother. This is inside the church who is sexually immoral. Pornos is the word. Pornos. Pornography in the church. Pornography in the church. Paul says anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Wow. You could have a mega church. 15,000 member church. And if their pastor taught in 1 Corinthians 5, you'd have like a five member church immediately. Pornography is a wildfire in the church. Men and women now. Boys, girls, little, little like eight year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds. You have like, you know, these females, they're, they're in love with love, you know, they're in love with, you know, the concept of love and having a boyfriend, you know, and so you have these little girls who are watching pornography because they say, okay, in order for me to have a boyfriend, I got to look like this, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, so I'm going to watch this on the internet, I'm going to watch this on my phone, I'm going to watch this and see how to do this, and that's what I'm going to do so that I can get a boyfriend because I'm in love with love. And then boom, they get addicted. Now that's the world. 
But the danger behind milk-drinking Christians is that the world can enter the church and the world does enter the church and the world is in the church. Not so with the remnant. Paul says not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, comma. That's just pornos, what we talked about. Comma, or covetous, comma. Or an idolater, comma. Or a reviler. This is like abusive. Now, this hits home for me because I was abusive. You know, 25 years ago, I was very abusive. This really, really hits home. This is like one of the passages where, you know, when I was playing games with the Lord, this 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 chapter is one of the chapters where like I was on fire, like I was like straight up on fire. I mean, not on fire, you know, I mean like I felt like I was burning, like somebody lit a fire underneath my seat because it was like, whoa, like a knife in my heart. So when I tell you these things, like, you know, to give up your sexual sin, to give up your covetousness to give up your uh, reviling ways to give up your look he said it says or reviler comma or a drunkard comma you see that was like a knife in my heart i was alcoholic sexual sin covetous like all this is like a checklist of you know this is me 25 years ago So when I tell you these things and I teach these things, I'm not teaching like at you. Like, hey, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And I'm going to go beat up my wife. Uh, You got to do this. And I'm going to go get drunk. You're going to do this. No. We are a people set apart to Jesus Christ. It's for his glory to live sacrificially unto him. So we have an idolater, comma, or a reviler, comma, or a drunkard, comma, or an extortioner. This is greedy for money, like money-hungry people. Or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Whoa. Not even to eat with such a person. Named a brother that does these things inside the church. You see? Hey, brother, come on, let's go hang out. Yeah, let's do this stuff. Oh, you know, I, I'm sorry, you know, no, no, I'm not going to do that. How come? How come you're not going to hang out with me? Well, you know, I, 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 I saw your social media, you know, and I saw you at the strip club, and I saw you were getting high, and, you know, no, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. Sorry, you know. Oh, why not? You know, we used to do it all the time. Okay, you know, I'll just tell you point blank. The Bible says that I shouldn't do that. The Bible says, no, not anyone named a brother, not even to eat with such a person. So, you know, I'm just going to spend some time in my Bible. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray, you know, and I'm going to pray for you, too. Oh, you're so stupid. You're such a legalist. Why don't you want to get drunk with me? You're such a legalist. Who's your pastor? It's this guy. Oh, that guy's so stupid. He's lost his mind. He's crazy. You see? And then notice here, the old leaven in verse 8, the old leaven, which is this 
there's the sexual sin, but indicative of this old leaven is the desire to cause pain and injury. Plot in wickedness is the plotting of malice. And that's what you see. If you correct another brother, you correct another sister about the works of the flesh. You're not, you know, you take the plank out of your own eye. You're not a hypocrite. You know, you're doing your, if you're a pastor, especially if you're a pastor or an elder, you've taken the plank out of your own eye. Now you're biblically qualified to, you know, help another brother. And then you tell a person about their sexual sin. You tell a person, you know, who's involved in sexual sin, you tell, and then you tell, they're going to get mad at you. They're going to get mad at you. And then you see all kinds of the old leaven, which is the malice, the desire to cause pain and injury, the plotting of malice. You know, it happens. But when it happens, be of good cheer. Why? Because scripture is being fulfilled. So you're a pastor, you're an elder. There's sin inside the fellowship, carnal, carnality, sexual sin. And you teach the Bible. You tell another brother about their sexual sin. Listen, you know, I, I caught wind of, you know, your social media. I know that you were in the strip club. I know you're doing these things. You know, hey, you need to stop. You need to cut it out. You know, next week is Communion Sunday, and you know, I, I don't want you to take Communion if you haven't repented. Don't take Communion. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. I'm supposed to, well, listen, if you take Communion, you sow seeds. It's, it's not good if you do that. Because you have to, it's a time where you need to, you know, your self-examination. Your heart might not be, at that time, you know, your heart might not be right before the Lord. Unless you repent, you need to repent. And next Sunday comes, it's Communion Sunday, and you saw the previous night, social media, and the, your strip club again. Strip club, drugs, you know, alcohol, the whole night. Sunday morning comes, boom, it's Communion Sunday. Listen, brother, don't take communion today. Don't take communion. I don't want this to be upon you. It's not good if you partake of communion. You see? You say, what do you mean you can't take communion? That's so mean-spirited. Well, look at what happens. That it's possible, entirely possible. 1 Corinthians 11 in verse 29 says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's why. It's not say, oh, don't take communion. You know, It's not to be like mean about it. To tell a brother, tell a sister, I don't want you to take communion. Because you need it's not discerning of the Lord's body. And you bring judgment, you eat and you drink judgment upon yourself. And I don't want that on you. You see? That's what a shepherd does, taking care of the flock. If you're a pastor and you don't do that, start right now. You need to do that. Because you, if you're a pastor and the Lord called you to pastor... And you shepherd God's people. The days are going to get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. Which means what? The church needs to grow more wise. 
you need to grow sharper and sharper and sharper. Because you're going to lead people through dark times. You see? Oh, but the church, the church, all these multitudes of people, they tithe all these things. And are you in it for the money? That's a hireling. Oh, but all these people might leave. They might leave. You're right. They might. And it'll break your heart. That's part of the gig. I'm sorry. You know, that that's just, I don't I want to call a call of God the gig, but, you know, it's part of the gig. You will be hated. You will be hated. You're a pastor. You teach truth. You're an elder. You teach truth. You're a Bible teacher. You teach truth. You're a youth leader. You teach truth. The truth of the Bible. You're not a man pleaser. You're a God pleaser. You're not a hypocrite. You keep God's temple clean and pure. You will be hated. Point blank, you will be hated. It's part of the gig. Let's continue. In closing. In verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? I love Paul so much. That's not my business, he's saying. It's not my business to judge the world. The Lord is going to judge the world. But he says this. Do you not judge those who are inside? All these people, don't judge lest you be judged. Don't judge lest you be judged. They take it out of context. Paul poses the question here. Do you not judge? Do you not Crino, whoa, it's not anacrino, it's not diacrino, it's crino in a hardcore judicial decision. Do you not judge those who are inside? You see, we have to make these assessments, we have to make this determination, just like what's happening in our study in Numbers. Israel is learning in the wilderness. Through chastisement, they're learning how to make these decisions. They're learning how to make these judgments for themselves in honor of the Lord. They're learning. So too does the church. You see? Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. It is written, do you not judge those who are inside? Oh, but the Bible says this. You know, Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged. True. It is also written. You see? Verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Wow. This is hardcore. All these passages. I don't want to sound... It would be neglectful for me to say that Paul was kind of cozying up to the church just to hammer them in chapter 5. But I've heard that said before, where Paul was like buttering up the church and then hammers them in chapter 5. No. 
I can't imagine the grief that Paul must have felt in finding out that these things were happening inside the church. A church that he birthed. A church that he suffered for. A church that he toiled over. That he prayed for. And to find out from those in the household of Chloe, a beautiful, beautiful home fellowship, a godly home fellowship, a, a fellowship among babies, a fellowship of titans, very mature Christians. But for Paul to hear that the church, that he has birthed Christians, the things that are happening inside the fellowship, it's like Paul, he's not, when he says in chapter 4, verse 21, what do you want? Shall, shall I come to you with a rod? Do you think he wants to? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness. And so he has to write, in obedience to the Lord, he has to write these things. You guys, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Brother committed to Satan. All these things. But these are things that must be said. These are things that must be taught. Why? Because we are to honor the Lord and abide in Christ. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a. How is it legalism? Show me. How is it legalism? The Bible says this. I'm not going to do this. The Bible says don't do this. I'm not going to do it. The Bible says do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. What, what babies call legalism, the mature call obedience. Never forget that. Because Christians, baby Christians, will hate you. But they're at the doorway, the very precipice of apostasy. The last days are called perilous for a reason. It's called the times of sorrows for a reason. God bless you guys. Love you guys.